heaven in just a minute. We want to start with prayer. Welcome to those listening online. And let's pray. Tom, would you pray, please? Amen. All right. Well, just by way of review, and again, it's been two weeks since we met, so you get a little extra grace on not remembering everything. That's fine. But uh, hopefully we can help create some synapses on things that we've talked about so they stick in there better. So I want to go back again to the definition of faith that we've been using based on Hebrews 11.1. 1. What's a working Definition of faith. Okay, I'll help you on that one. Acting on the assumption that God means what he says and will do what he promises, even though those things are not visible to our physical eyes or currently present in our circumstances. So remember, that's catching the phrases the author uses about things not seen and things that are still future and hope. So it's believing God's going to do what he says he's going to do, even though I don't see how or it's not something I can see yet. What were some of the big choices Moses had to make by faith? We talked about three big choices he had to make. This is going to be in 24 through 26. Three big choices he made by faith. We are in Hebrews chapter 11. And the author talks about Moses for a few verses. And we saw three choices that Moses made by faith in verses 24 through 26. Right, and actually we're going to use that verse this morning, but we're looking for Moses and his three choices in verses 24 through 26. Okay, so that was a choice of loyalty. See, what family is he going to identify with? This Egyptian family that's taken care of him for all these years, really 40 years, or identify with God's people who were slaves in Egypt at the time. Okay, so a choice of loyalty. What else did he have to make a choice about? Okay, so a choice of lifestyle. We could say mistreated or enjoy all the pleasures the world has to offer. Right? A lot of people in this world would pick, let's go with pleasures the world has to offer instead of ill treatment. 
And then what was the third choice that kind of helped motivate the other two? Right, so choice of reward. I could have the reward of Egypt's treasures, which are no small thing, or what Christ offers, because it says he was looking for the reward, which is, what's the ultimate reward? Christ. Yeah, Christ or God, right. So those are his choices. And can you think of a Jim Elliott quote that's a good summary of those three choices. Amen. So Jim Elliot, of course, was a missionary to Ecuador. He was martyred by the people he was trying to reach. But he is very famous for that sentence about he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I found the quote I was looking for. Um, I hope you're familiar with Matthew Henry, famous commentator. His dad, Philip, was a Puritan pastor. And this is what he said about 250 years before Jim Elliot. See if you can hear how similar they are. He is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep when he is sure to be recompensed with that which he cannot lose. Sure sounds similar, at least, doesn't it? <laughs> I, you could almost say Jim Elliott basically modernized it or shortened it, but it's the same thing. It's can't keep this, can't lose this. So either way, the point is faith sees what really matters and is not blinded by the things that don't and makes those kind of choices. So... Um, any comments or questions on Moses' choices? Okay, then we looked at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. And, and we had some question about which time is that talking about that he left Egypt? Because he did leave Egypt twice, right? And so I tried to do some homework, and here's some thoughts, and we can share, this is not the final word, but let's, let's talk about, here's some factors of how to lean toward this. So in favor of it being leaving Egypt the first time and going to Midian would be, one, it follows the historical order of the narrative. Okay, so all of Hebrews 11, it's been... Here's creation, then there's Abel, then there's Enoch, then there's Noah, then there's Abraham, then there's Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And it's been very sequential in terms of what comes next. And so 27 comes right after saying these choices Moses is making and before the Passover. So that would be a factor to consider. It's like, okay, if the author's been doing it in chronological order so far, we know he didn't leave the second time before the Passover, right? So that would be a factor. A second factor would be Pharaoh and Egypt pleaded for Moses to leave Egypt. 
by the end. Remember? So there wouldn't be really a fear factor if Pharaoh and the, all of Egypt saying, please get out of here. There's not a lot of, I'm afraid of that. <laughs> so that argues in favor of the first leaving. Something that always calls that into question is the Exodus account says that Moses was afraid or feared. So one way to resolve that, I believe, would be Moses felt initial fear, just like Gideon, who we'll talk about today, or like Sarah's initial unbelief, but all of those people overcame that initial fear by faith. So I would say for those reasons, I think it's the first departure and not the second. That's not, that doesn't settle it for all time. You're free to disagree with that. Uh, I, I think it's an example of what a phrase you hear me say pretty often in a message. Here's an example of where sincere Christians have come to different conclusions. Okay, Because you could say, yeah, it sounds like when he left the second time. And you might be right. I don't know. I think it's stronger to say the first. Some people think it's stronger to say the second. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can agree to disagree and say, okay, it doesn't really change your life this afternoon or after, <laughs> which way you think the author's talking about Moses leaving. The point he's trying to say is it was by faith, and he's trying to reinforce that we grow in our faith. So if you're growing in your faith, it doesn't matter what you believe about which departure that was. And if you're not growing in your faith, it doesn't matter if you have it right or not. <laughs> so any thoughts on that verse that kind of slowed us down for a second, and that was a good discussion to say, oh, maybe there's options, and there are options. Um, I think one is stronger than the other, but that's just me. So if you want to say, no, I think the other option is stronger, this would be a great time to do that. Okay, well, either I persuaded you or you're too... Oh, you're persuaded, okay. I don't want you to feel like I bullied you into having to believe it that way. But um, All right, well, let's move on then. A couple more review questions, and then we'll pick up where we left off. Why would observing the Passover take faith? That's the next example that we read in verse 28. Why would observing the Passover involve faith? Sure, sure. Sacrificed animals, mm -hmm. you know, um, but to take that same blood and put it over your doors, they've never done that. You're right. You're right. That does sound strange, doesn't it? Um, another thought I just had this morning along with that would be the last several plagues have only been on Egypt and God kept Goshen free from them. And now this plague is including God's people. And so you, it takes faith to go, oh, this, God means it when he says, he might take out my firstborn even though I'm an Israelite. You know, I need to take that seriously, not just, well, the Egyptians deserve this anyway, so if they don't do it so much for them. It's like, oh, now I'm in this 
situation, and I'm either going to believe that God is really going to do it, or I'm not going to believe it, and my firstborn is going to die if I don't. <laughs> uh, so that would take faith. So um, it was a very unusual remedy to be spared uh, the death of your firstborn to put animal blood on your door, just like we talked about if the CDC recommended that for avoiding some kind of coming plague. <laughs> uh, we would think that's a little strange and would take faith to really believe. And then why would the Red Sea be an example of faith? Right, right. Right, and I'm glad you used the phrase, God led them there. That's very clear in the text. God brought them to that spot. It wasn't Moses got lost trying to follow the map. It was, that's exactly where God led them to be. And there's mountains on this side, mountains on this side, Red Sea in front of you, Pharaoh and his army coming behind you. So they are in a place where that's humanly impossible to get out of. There's no way out until God does something miraculous. So that would take faith. So any comments or questions on the Red Sea or the Passover? And then we'll move on in the sequential order to Jericho. All right. Would somebody please read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. Hebrews eleven thirty. Okay, so some of you have probably watched the VeggieTale version of Josh and Big Wall. Hard not to think of that one <laughs> on this story, just like Jonah. It's hard not to think of Jonah. But why would it take faith to, to take down walls that are very tall and strong? Remember, the spies came back and said the, the walls are really big and the people are really big and we're like grasshoppers next to them. Why would it take faith to follow God's instructions about how to conquer Jericho. Okay. Why, why not just one? Okay, that's a good point. No, no. It's, it's very unconventional, to say the least. Um, so, so it's just, again, kind of like uh, Kathy said about the, the Passover. It's just... It's so out of the ordinary, so out of step with what makes sense, humanly speaking. You know, how do you take down a wall? Well, you use battering rams and siege ramps and catapults and whatever else to knock it down. And God says, no, I'm, you're not going to use any of those things. You're going to march around with trumpets for seven days, and I'll take the wall down. So it takes faith to believe God's really going to do it that way because you look kind of silly <laughs> for those seven days. So, and then let's look at... Rahab 11.31. Would somebody read Hebrews 11.31? By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friend and welcome to the spies. Okay. So let's just refresh our memories a little bit. Go back to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And would somebody please read 
verses 9 through 11. Joshua 2, 9 through 11. How long ago had it been since those events had happened? Ballpark. 40 years. 40 years. The crossing of the Red Sea was 40 years plus ago. And she's saying, we've heard about that. And we're, at least some of us have a fear about that. And we know God is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's quite a statement from a Gentile pagan prostitute. <laughs> you just didn't see that one coming. And it fulfills in part, I mean, there'll be more examples as you read through the Old Testament, but in Exodus 9, would somebody read 9.16? This is God speaking to Pharaoh 916. Okay, so God has a reason that he's delaying. He could have just gotten Pharaoh to just say yes the first time, right? <laughs> the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He moves it wherever he wishes, Proverbs 21.1. So God could have just had that happen right away, but instead he does all ten plagues, and he says, I'm doing it that way, A, to show you my glory, and B, the whole earth will hear about me. So that's becoming true. Uh, it's true, Jethro, in chapter 18, has heard about it. Uh, Moses' father-in-law, Rahab, hears about it. Later, the Gibeonites are going to make reference to it even more years after it happened. Uh, it shows up again in Numbers 14. So God had this purpose of, my, I'm going to announce who I am, not just to you, Pharaoh, or even to my own people, the Israelites, but more and more people in an expanding range, are going to know about who I am. And here's Rahab saying, we know God's the God of the heaven and earth from 40 years ago. So she had faith. Um, so I just think that's a cool story how that worked. Any comments or questions on Rahab? Okay. Well, then let's go to a new section of Hebrews 11. And would somebody read 32 through the first 
full phrase of 35. There's a, you want to chop it there. Uh, if I was making the verses, I would have started a new verse. Verses are inspired. So would somebody read 32 through the first phrase in 35? Thank you. Okay, so he has been kind of picking a name, and you know, in Abraham's case, multiple verses, Moses, a few verses, and now he's just sort of kind of cramming a bunch in and just lists. What shall I say? I'm running out of time. Let me just give you a few, you know, names. Boom, 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 boom. And he assumes his readers then and now know who he's talking about and know the stories behind them and know why they are illustrations of faith. So I'd like to spend a little time on Gideon um, and his story because the author says he didn't have time to tell about it all, but we do have time this morning. So I'd like to just revisit the story of Gideon. We'll talk about some of the other people that are mentioned there uh, and we'll see how far we get. So this is in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, and would somebody please read verse 6, Judges 6, 6. Okay, thank you. So the verses before that are saying how Midian would just come in during harvest time, clean out the wheat or whatever grain that was time for harvest, take it back to Gideon, and Israel just, like, their crop is just devastated. Um, and so earlier it says, like, they would hide in caves and holes in the ground and strongholds and, and you know, they're... It's like, how do we preserve our food because these raiders are coming in every year at harvest time and taking our stuff? So they're brought very low because of that, and God's going to intervene. So chapter 6, verses 11 through 17, please. Judges 6, 11 to 17. Said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save 
Okay, so if you just had that much to go on, would you say Gideon is my number one draft choice for the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11? No. I mean, the Lord, angel of the Lord, whoever this is, appears, and it's like, well, if you're really with us, why is all this terrible stuff happening, and where are the miracles we've heard about, and, you know... So that's his initial reaction. <laughs> and then it's like, no, you've got the wrong person. I'm young. My clan's weak. No, 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 this isn't going to happen. And then he says, okay, if this is all, well, show me a sign. So not just like, yes, Lord, your will be done. I'm all over it. Right? Is that fair? Summary? Okay. Then God gives him a, an assignment to tear down his father's altar. And would somebody read 627? So, there again, he was afraid. <laughs> it's, a, it's a night operation because he's scared. Doesn't want his family to know it was him. Okay, then go to chapter 6. Would somebody read, this is what everybody associates with Gideon, this part of the story. 6, 36 to 40. Somebody read Judges 6, 36 to 40. speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Okay. So how is that passage sometimes used by Christians? Here's how I've heard it. <laughs> Lord, if you want me to take that job opportunity, let the phone ring at 5 o'clock. That'll be a sign. So if it rings at 4.59, does that count? What about 5.01? What about 5.05? But even worse than the trickiness of that is Gideon trying to find out God's will. And how do you know that from the text that says something twice? It says um, that he will save Israel by my hand as you have said. As you have said. And he says it again. He says it in 
36, and he says it again in 37, as you have spoken. So he's already heard God say, you're supposed to deliver Gideon or Israel from Midian. He knows exactly what God's will is. So this passage is misapplied to trying to discern God's mysterious will. God already told him his will, and Gideon even says, I know what you've told me. So it's kind of like, uh, those of you still have kids in the home or can remember when your kids were in the home, one of your kids saying, I know you told me to clean my room a few times, but if you really mean that I should clean my room, show me a sign. How would you respond as a parent? I'll show you a sign. <laughs> right? The problem is not ignorance of God's will. Just like your kids know you've already told them to clean the room. So asking for a sign when you already know what God wants you to do is not faith. <laughs> okay. So we already saw he asked our sign when the Lord first appeared to him. He's afraid to do something at night. Now he's asking for not just one but two more signs to do what he already knows he's supposed to do. And then, let's keep reading in the story, chapter 7 of Judges, verse 2 and 3. Judges 7, 2 and 3. Okay, so two-thirds of his army leaves because they're afraid. And God says it's still too many. So look at verse 7. Judges 7, verse 7. Judges 7, verse 7. Okay, so now the army is 300 men. Anybody know how many the Midianites had? A lot more than that. Actually, we're told how many in 8, verse 10. Somebody read 8, 10, please. Judges 8, verse 10. Keep going. You're right. That plus how many others? So add those together, we've got 135,000, right, against 300. Is Scott Davidson in the room? I thought I saw him. Scott, what's the, what's the math on that? What's the ratio between 135,000 and 300? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Very helpful, thank you. Um, that comes out to 
135, oh, excuse me, 450 to 1. Does anybody know what the odds were at the Alamo? It was roughly 9 or 10 to 1, which was a bad deal. <laughs> if you're Davy Crockett and the other guys is like, they got 9 or 10 for every one of us. We're not going to make it through this, and they didn't. So think of being an Israelite. <laughs> There's 450 of them for every one of us. Are you feeling real optimistic about how this is going to go? No. So that's what we're up against. So now read, this is my, probably the favorite part of the story for me, is chapter 7, 9 to 15. Judges 7, 9 through 15. Please. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Isn't that a beautiful story? God says, If you're still afraid, I've got some encouragement for you. I've got a sign for good for you. Go down and listen and then think of all the things God orchestrated. <laughs> That here's a Midianite pagan soldier has a dream and another Midianite soldier who doesn't believe in the true God interprets it. God gave him the interpretation. It's nothing other than Gideon's coming and he's going to destroy us. And he had that dream and that interpretation right at the time Gideon was there to overhear that conversation. And how does he respond? What's the first thing he does? He worshipped. Does that mean he got together some guitars and drums and singers and they started singing a certain kind of song? What does it mean? He's praising God. It's a heart thing. It's a heart. Oh, God, you are so kind to me. I've been a little bit slow this whole story. <laughs> Starting from when you first appeared to me, I needed a sign, and then I needed more signs, and I was still afraid, and you know I'm afraid tonight, and you are so kind and gracious and merciful to this weak, faithed servant of yours that you would show me this sign for good. Thank you, God. That's worship. Doesn't need musical accompaniment. Doesn't need a band. It's heart response to the goodness of God. 
or some other aspect of God. Okay? So that's what, when we come to a worship service, it's not about the, the music is to help enhance those and express those internal heart things, but it's not ultimately about music or style of music or what instruments or not instruments. It's about what's going on in our hearts as we think about who God is and how he's revealed himself and what his character is like, how he's dealt with us in mercy and grace and responding to him with love and thanks and praise. That's worship. And so Gideon worships. And then what does he do? Yeah. He's, he's a new man. It's not like, oh, guys, we're going to die in the morning. <laughs> it's 4.50 and the 1. It's, we're going to do this, guys. So now he's got some faith. But it was a long, curvy journey to get to that point. Would you agree with that? Is that a fair statement? <laughs> so here's a question, and I, I have a quote that I think is a good answer. But So we all kind of agreed earlier that Gideon wouldn't be our first-round draft choice for the Hall of Fame. And yet here he is. So how, how do you account for that? Okay, Mark? Amen. That's a great answer. Amen. So here's something I wrote down when I preached on this. Um, Gideon gets included in the Hall of Faith not because he was so great, but because God is so gracious. As one writer said, faith is a response of all who are conscious of their own weakness and accordingly look to God for strength. Faith can be simply, I'm weak, you're strong, God. It doesn't have to be heroic and brave and all those other things. It can just be, I'm weak. I don't know what to do. I'm trusting you, God. You're my strength. You're my help. You're my everything. Help. That's faith. God is honored by that kind of faith. And he's the one who gives us the faith, as Mark pointed out. The only reason we have faith is God's grace. So it all comes back to God. So any more thoughts on Gideon before we move on? Okay. Uh, who would be some examples from the people that were listed of those who conquered kingdoms and were mighty in war and sent foreign armies to flight? Who would, would be some examples that are right in that list? David, David right. David is mentioned specifically, and David certainly did those things. Right. Also, Barak and Jephthah. As judges also puts some foreign enemies to flight. Who would be an example of shutting lions' mouths? Daniel, right. Um, and also you could argue David because he fought with a lion hand to hand. But Daniel probably be the number one example of lions' mouths being shut for a whole night. And was it because they were just, you know, docile, half-dead lions at the zoo? How do we know that? Right, but... Yeah, what, when the bad guys get thrown into the same den that Daniel was in, they're devoured as they're coming down. 
<laughs> the lions didn't wait for them to hit the, the bottom. They are chewing them up on the way down. So they're obviously very hungry. It wasn't about, well, yeah, he caught the lions on a good night. It was God spared him and delivered him, shut those lions' mouths until it was time to open them for the bad guys that had accused Daniel. Who would be an example of quenching the power of fire? Okay, so he brought fire on that one, right? What about quenching the power of fire? Yeah, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they're in the furnace. It's heated seven times hotter. The people that are trying to throw them in are burned by it, and they're spared and don't even smell like smoke when they come out. So God intervened, and they are examples of faith by faith quenching fire. They trusted God. Who are some women who receive back their dead? Okay. I hadn't thought of that one, Lois. That's a great example. That is a great example. You're right. So, so we got two examples um, in the Old Testament. Elijah, <laughs> with a J, raised a widow's son, and then Elisha raised a Shunammite woman's son. I don't know if she was a widow or not, but either way, those would be two examples in the Old Testament, along with um, women receiving back the dead. You could include Lazarus, or you could include the widow of Nain, also received her only son back from the dead during the funeral procession. Um, so those two would be New Testament examples. All right, who would be an example of weakness, out of weakness made strong? Who did we just talk about for a while this morning? Well, I would say Gideon on the weakness side. Yeah, Samson was definitely made strong, stronger than average. I don't know that he started out weak. <laughs> and, and be Okay, so out of strength was made weak. That would be work for Samson. But yeah, in terms of a weak believer made strong, I would say Gideon would be a prime person for that. So any comments or questions on that part of Hebrews? Because it's going to shift gears drastically in the rest of verse 32 and following. Okay, so here, this will be the teaser for next week. If that is all we had to go on in Hebrews 11 and it stopped with a full stop there, a period, and started chapter 12... You could come up with the impression faith always brings about happy endings. Faith always makes you successful. Faith always makes you victorious in battle. Faith always gives you what you're hoping will happen. And so this is from a guy named Ted Cluck. Um, he says this, We have become addicted to happy ending stories where we go through X, some hard thing, and then start praying, and then shazam! God makes everything better, and we have a nice utopian story to tell where we are the hero who ends up with the great job, the great family, the time off, the free plane tickets, the lost purse, or the great healthy kids. The fact of the matter is, often the happy ending isn't until heaven. 
And that's what the author of Hebrews is going to tell us. Because he's going to say, you know what? There's a whole bunch of people who didn't experience victory and happy outcomes. And we're going to save that for next week. But there's a bunch of people that suffered terribly and had very unhappy stories. And they also did those things by faith. Which is a corrective of thinking, if you have faith, you get the happy ending. If you don't have a happy ending, it's because you didn't have enough faith. You don't get the healing, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't get that job, you didn't have enough faith. Okay, there's a circle of Christians out there, maybe you know some, that talk that way. If you have enough faith, you'll get X. If you don't get X, it obviously is because you didn't have enough faith, which is just... Wrong at a number of levels, but it just it flies in direct contradiction with the rest of Hebrews 11. So, Lord willing, we will talk about that next Sunday. We'll give the, uh, see the other examples the author gives us of faith, and it's much different than the ones we just saw. Well, fair enough. And that's, what, that's why that sentence is great. The, the fact of the matter is, often the happy ending is heaven. So you're right. Yes. But meantime, it might not be the happy story. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, ultimately we get beyond belief happy ending forever. Amen. That's what keeps us going. But we don't always see it this side of heaven. All right, well, let's close in prayer. And Kyle, would you lead us? Amen.